RoboCop. Who is he? What is he? Where does he come from? What kind of a sick school is this? Things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Stand up to my little friend. I love to celebrate plum in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A Daniel Man! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the Then Is Now podcast. I'm your host, Rigor. Then Is Now is the podcast where we discuss pop culture of the past and how it relates to the present. All the cool stuff that you may or may not have missed out on. Stuff young people should know. On today's episode, Spency Peace and I are going to discuss the films Robocop from 1987 and the remake of Robocop from 2014. It should be noted that in this episode we had some distractions, we had some noises of children and dogs in the background. I did my best to cut them out, but you might still hear some dogs jingling in the background and whatnot, so just ignore that as you listen to the episode. We'd like to get a discussion going on our Facebook page, so if you want, jump on board and tell us what you think. Tell us if you like the original Robocop or if you like the remake. Let us know. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy our discussion of Robocop. Class is in session. Feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shop class. Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shop class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. We lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. We're going to have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play, and have fun now.
This is Media Break. You give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Welcome back here at Then Is Now. I'm joined by my co-host, Spency Domepiece. Spency, welcome. How you doing, everybody? Okay, so Spence, let's um, get your website out of the way. You have a YouTube page, right? Yeah, that's uh, my main source of media is YouTube. I post like gaming videos and stuff like that, funny moments with my friends, simple stuff. I like it. So check it out if you just want to have a good laugh or something like that. Okay, and what is your um, YouTube name? Spency Dome Peace. Spency Dome Peace. Okay, it should be noted that Spency Dome Peace is 15 years old. And that's important because our audience, what we're trying to do here for our audience is to present opinions of pop culture from the past and how it relates to the present. It's, it's all that cool stuff that the young people of today maybe don't know about. So we'd like to get everyone interested and involved. And if you've got a young person that you would like them to know about Robocop today, because that's what we'll be talking about. Robocop from 1987 and the 2014 remake. Okay, Spency, so let's get into it. 1987. Now, let's just say this. Between the original Robocop and the remake, there have been several TV shows, cartoons, comic book tie-ins, sequels. We're not going to get into all that. We're just going to talk about the original, and we're going to talk about the 2014 remake. We get the best of both worlds. The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you Robocop. Drop the gun. You are under arrest. Dead or alive, you are coming with me. Thank you for your cooperation. Good night. I'll buy that for a dollar. So, do you want to jump into a summary first, or...? Uh, yeah, actually, I'll give a summary of both movies, just okay. to keep it plain and simple. In the 1987 version... Well, hold on, hold on. Let's talk about the cast and crew first. Um, in the original 87 version, it's directed by Paul Verhoeven, who was known for making these large, bombastic movies. I think he was Dutch. There are only two things I can't stand in this world. People who are intolerant of other people's cultures, and the Dutch. So he was the Michael Bay of the, of the 1980s? Kind of, sort of. Um, he did, you know, Starship Troopers, and he did um, a couple of others you may not have heard of, Showgirls. The movie stars Peter Weller, who is also known for Buckaroo Banzai. And he was, he's another one that's been in, like, a lot of um, low-budget horror films. There was one called Of Unknown Origin, where he's this guy that chases a rat around his house, like this giant rat. Interesting. And... Um, you know, Peter Weller is one of those beloved guys. Every time he shows up, he was in the second of the new Star Trek films. Was it Star Trek Beyond uh, or Star Trek Into Darkness? Into Darkness. He was the admiral, wasn't he? Uh, he I was so, yeah. Carol Marcus's father, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just called up Paul Verhoeven's stuff here. He hasn't done a lot. It's, he's done Robocop, Total Recall, the original one with Arnold, okay. Starship Troopers. He did The Hollow Man, which was um, an Invisible Man story with Kevin Bacon. Uh, he's got a new one called L coming out in 2016, E-L-L-E. I don't know which one that is. And then the stuff before that you probably wouldn't have heard of, but, he, you know, he's a director that people should know about because of the, his style, in particular this film, Robocop, which we'll get into the style and everything. It's also, we've got another all-star cast here. I mean, aside from Peter Reller, who at the time, I think this was one of his first films, you had Nancy Allen, who was... If I remember correctly, she was in, she wasn't in Greece, but she was in um, American Graffiti, oh, I think, okay. before this. And then um, Dan O'Hurley, he plays the old man. 
Uh, he's another one. He's an actor, a veteran actor. It's been around for a while. Ronnie Cox, another one who's been around for ages. He was uh, Dick Jones. Oh, okay. And then um, Kurtwood Smith plays Clarence Bodiger. And he's most famous for being the father on That 70s Show. Ah, I always like to joke that I went to the uh, Red Foreman School of uh, Parenting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You got Miguel Ferrer, who plays Bob Morton. He's been in tons of stuff. In fact, he was uh, pretty well known for his role on Twin Peaks, which we may have to do that one soon because there's a new Twin Peaks show coming out, which I think might be a sequel to the original. It's a David Lynch show. It's it's one of these TV shows that sort of started the whole um, uh, the whole quirky, quirk, th- like there's certain types of shows that are quirky. Mm-hmm. I think Twin Peaks sort of started that, and a bunch of them came afterwards. You, in fact, Spencer, you probably don't even know about half of those shows. Definitely. There's Picket Fences, and um, there's the one in Alaska. Help me here. Nobody can help me here. All right, uh, Ray Wise was also in the film. He was one of um, he was Leon Nash, one of. Kurtwood Smith's, uh, or rather Clarence Bodiger's men. Um, you might know him from. Did you see the Jeepers Creepers films? Any of those? No, I did not. All right, he was in like the second one, I think. But he was also in. Um, God, I, I, I've lost my brain today. There was that show that was on recently about the kid who turned out he was the son of the devil, and he worked in the like grocery store. Oh. <sighs> Oh, I, I don't. I forget what show that was, but Ray Wise was the was the devil in that show. Ah, uh. <laughs> this is such a fact filled uh, podcast, people. We're gonna give you all kinds of facts. All right, so Spency, why don't you go into the uh, summary of the 1987 RoboCop? All right. Well, the 1987 RoboCop was, believe it or not, not very long. The the 2014 version was actually quite 10, 15 minutes longer. So in the 1987 version, basically. There's a cop, and in the first 15 minutes we see him, we understand that he's a cop. He's new to, uh, I believe it's Chicago. And it was Detroit. Detroit, I'm sorry. And he's new, to, he's new to Detroit, and the whole idea is that the cops are run by this company called OCP. And OCP is trying to decide what, um, what they want to do with um, different technology. Do they want automated robots to go around and kind of keep peace, or do they want cops? Do they want something in between? And the whole idea is that in the beginning, the technology of having an AI fails. That goes horribly wrong. And so... In a, in a great scene, I might add. Yeah. I, when I first saw that, I was very shocked at how the technology went haywire. Um, so what happens is the new guy in town, he ends up getting killed pretty horrifically, pretty quickly in Detroit. And he becomes the perfect candidate for becoming the RoboCop because the AI system didn't work. They decided to put him as a cyborg. And, and one of the things, too, is there's sort of this internal struggle in OCP because um, Dick Jones wants these AIs, these Ed 209s, to be patrolling the streets. And when that fails, they maneuver uh, other cops into position of risk so that they knew one of them would get killed and then Bob Morton would scoop that guy up and turn him into RoboCop. Mm-hmm. So when that happens... Um, the, the character who was Robocop before, his name is completely escapes me, but he, um, he had a few character traits that he would... Oh, Alex Murphy. Alex Murphy, I'm sorry. Yeah. He, Alex Murphy would have a few character traits that he'd perform, um, like, around, and then he still had those when he became Robocop, so his old partner kind of, re- kind of thought that that was him, so she sort of went up to him, said, hey, is it you? And he didn't understand, but it still kind of sparked something. Murphy. 
it's you. Right, his partner was um, Nancy Allen, and um, uh, she recognized, like, he would flip his gun, like the show T.J. Laser, which is sort of a spoof of T.J. Hooker that was on at the time, a uh, TV show with William Shatner. And, yeah, and he, you know, he would do these things. He had these affectations that when she saw them, she knew who it was. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, um, Bob Morton had Alex Murphy's brain wiped, his memory wiped. So that it, he no longer was the person he was before. He didn't know anything. So when, like you said, when she starts saying, hey, Murphy, it's you, it does spark something in him that they thought they had completely wiped out. And he, was peer, and he ran into another criminal for um, a small robbery, and the criminal was yelling, we killed you, we killed you, because in the beginning they did ultimately kill him. And so it kind of it inspired this little crusade to find out how he died who he really is because he has no memories he's only just a face and then a robot suit being told what to do and ultimately come to find out that one of the major crime bosses in detroit was in league with the um the main corporate guy who was trying to get the ais out under the streets so he they were they were in league together and robocop ultimately figured that out got a recording of the criminal admitting his his accomplice in the in the corporation, but he had four directives, three that he knew of, four was classified, and the classified one was that he couldn't arrest or harm anyone in the OCP upper levels. All right, hold on one second here, because I think we're going into spoiler territory. I mean, we're talking about a movie that's, what, 30, 40 years old. If you haven't seen it by now, you're missing out. All right, so if you haven't seen it, please uh, pause, pause the podcast, and go watch Robocop from 1987, and then come back. All right, go ahead, Spence. Why don't you finish the uh, summary? So now that we're out of spoiler territory, um, ultimately, Directive Four is he can't harm anyone in the in there. So when he finds when he has proof and evidence, he finds out that there's these um, criminals involved with the OCP. He goes to the CEO immediately during a board meeting, shows them the evidence of of the crimes and th- of the crimes, and that guy immediately gets fired. And ultimately, um, is Directive Four is no longer being. Uh, being has to be followed because with that particular person so he shoots him right it's just it's an amazing scene um one that i didn't see when i first saw it i didn't see that coming it was a good twist to the end of the film Mm. by the way i have a quick aside here um there's a lot of ambient noise in the background here we've got dogs and kids moving about and we're trying to keep them as quiet as possible but um if you're hearing clicks and clacks and bings and bangs that's you know what that is so, okay, so uh, RoboCop from 1987, it was pretty revolutionary for its time. One of the big things was um, the violence in the film. I mean, you've seen, you know, you're 15, but you've seen a lot of rated R movies. What was your take on the level of violence in this movie? It shocked me, uh, the, the level of violence, because I didn't, like, quite expect it. I didn't think, oh, it would have no violence, no blood, but it was just every single scene that involved any kind of little bit of blood was way exaggerated and I think it made it more dramatic. It was really, it was really effectively used and rather unusual to see in a movie coming out in 1987. Yeah, and uh, my understanding was that Paul Verhoeven did that on purpose. He wanted the violence to be cartoony, particularly at the beginning when Alex Murphy's killed. We don't know much about him. We know that he can flip the gun like TJ Laser. We know that every time he drives the car out of the police uh, garage he hits the ground underneath and causes sparks but other than that we don't know him as a character and one of the things Verhoeven had said was 
he wanted it to be so horrific a death because you didn't know the character that you felt for him. You you felt bad for him. You had this connection to him. Did, I mean, did you get that out of it? Did you feel? Definitely. I kind of didn't really know him. Like, I was like, I knew he was the main character in the beginning of the film. But as it kind of progressed and he did die so horrific, I was like, wow, no one really deserves that. Especially a cop trying to do his job, trying to catch, a, catch, catch criminals. So with that, it kind of did kind of inspire a little bit of pity for him and understanding that, all right, he's going through something really, really bad more than anyone else will ever actually know in our time. And, you know, then it becomes a journey for Alex Murphy to reclaim his humanity. His memory's been wiped, but it's not completely gone. In fact, at one point he has a dream and you see the vision of Clarence Bodiger, you know, when he faced him off and and Clarence shot him in the head. At its core, it's science fiction at its best because it's a tale of humanity of one man, you know, is he a man who dreamed he was a robot or a robot that dreamed he was a man? You know, he's trying to recover uh, that sense of humanity that was lost. Going through this film now, having seen a lot of other science fiction, what was your take overall on the film? Did you find it unbelievable? Did you find it believable? Did the effects work for you, that sort of thing? The effects definitely worked because when um, some, when the AIs, uh, what are they called again? Uh, the Ed 209s. The Ed 209s, when they come on, they're giant two-legged kind of tanks that are full of guns and weapons and things. And when they came on the screen... What was it called? It's called Go Motion, I believe. So I believe it, so, yeah. So it looks very like stuttery and things like that. And I thought it it didn't it wasn't like spectacular effects, but for the time being and for the concept that was surrounding the entire movie, I thought it worked extremely well with it. And Robocop himself was very interesting because he had like the silver plated armor and he the way he walked, he was very, very robotic. When he turned, he turned his upper body and then his lower body. You, you could constantly hear clicks and clacks and zips, all kinds of whenever he was moving. So I feel like everything was to the letter of the detail of how you wanted it. So I liked it. Honestly. So you're talking about Weller's performance as Robocop? You... The effects in all of everything kind of coming together and in the general environment of the OCP kind of taking over the cops, whereas it's a private business for public defense. Is right. No, my question was, though, as, as a young person today with today's special effects watching this movie, did they work for you yeah. in your yeah. terms of believability? With the, with the concept of it taking place in the future, but from 1987, I could kind of try and identify from that time. So no, it wasn't spectacular, but it was. It, but it did work for the time being, and it honestly was more. I think pretty believable because it wouldn't. If you were to actually create some kind of cyborg like that, that was supposed to be human, air quotes around that. It was. Um, it would be very stiff, very like that. So it's actually made a lot of sense if you looked at it from. Uh, from a, a, yeah, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> if you looked at it. It, it worked. It, 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 it helped to suspend your disbelief. And um, you had mentioned go motion. That's like a, um, that's a variation of stop motion, which includes motion blur um, in, in each frame. I think ILM and Phil Tippett uh, co-created that type of stop motion animation. Um, let's talk about the music, too. The music was done by Basil Polydorus, who's one of my favorite composers. What did you think of the soundtrack to this film? Soundtrack oh, made the movie what it is. It was perfect because it wasn't overused. A lot of soundtracks can be really good, but they're overused throughout the movie. 
and things like that. Whenever it was like a kind of a calm time, they knew how to use the silence very well. Whenever there was a time where there was very, very tense, there wasn't much background noise, which was actually a bit more demoralizing than having some kind of like some some kind of background noise. But then when something did happen, it took off into a good good pace and things like that. The soundtrack was very good for kind of chase scenes and things like that. When the scenes were obviously very dramatic, everyone could kind of see each other. There wasn't supposed to be a lot of tension around everything. It made it was it worked really well. So the soundtrack I thought was very, very well done and excellent. And Basil Polydorus, it should be noted, has done he did Conan the Barbarian with Arnold, Conan the Destroyer. He's done a lot of uh, other films, tons of films, The Hunt for Red October, White Fang, um, the sequels to Robocop, Starship Troopers, which mm-hmm. I think is a pretty decent soundtrack. So yeah, he, unfortunately, um, Basil Polydorus passed away in 2006. I'm just trying to look up here. He was only 61, but he was another one of those prolific uh, guys who made movie scores that you should check that out at some point uh, for you listeners out there. The other thing I wanted to touch upon was the dark satire of this movie. One of the things that helped this film to stand out among the action movies of its time. I mean, think about it. This was, what, 1987? Around this time, you had Predator. You had Robocop, of course. You had Die Hard. You had Lethal Weapon. You had a lot of big, heavy, well-respected, groundbreaking action movies. So uh, for Robocop to sort of stand out above the crowd, I think one of the things, not only was was the cartoony violence, but it was also the the dark satire on society. You know, like the, I'd buy that for a dollar. I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> that was supposed to ex- illustrate how things on TV, for example, could be TV, could be radio movies, but how things in the pop culture get into the pop culture. You know, it's sort of like Fonzie's A, you know, just people just know what that is. They say that, they quote it. They don't maybe not know where, they may not know where it's from. Mm, yeah, there was definitely a huge level of pop culture was directly kind of injected into society. It wasn't an indirect people, it kind of taken in. Um, the I'd buy that for a dollar was kind of shown all over the place. I didn't quite get it, but I could but I could see that people, everyone quoted it from criminals to corporate billionaires. It was... Everyone, everyone made some kind of reference to something like that. It was definitely direct influence. Yeah, and the, the whole film, I mean, there's all kinds of commercials. The news people are, are telling you about these horrible deaths, and they've got big old smiles on their faces. Um, you know, the Star Wars peace platform accidentally laser beams Acapulco or something, killing four ex-presidents. You know, it's, it's just the craziness in the world, and the news people just have a smile on their face, delivering this horrifying news. Um, the crazy commercials for like, uh, what was it the the video game Nukem, mm. where it's like you know the nuclear bomb blows up and yeah. instead of battleship, where you're saying my battleship, it's like you nuked my country, you know, <laughs> or um, the car, the 2000 SUX. That in and of itself is hilarious. The 6,000 SUX, yeah. Yeah, my running joke with that is 6,000 sucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny because they don't have to say it. All they have to do is just say SUX, and it's one of those jokes that's like a joke grenade. After a while, it goes off in your head, and you go, oh, I get it, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of that in this film. There was – and it didn't – I didn't think it took away from the the seriousness of the movie. Like they took the source matter – Seriously, the, the uh, Alex Murphy, he's killed. He's brought back as this cyborg, this half man, half machine automaton. Not an automaton, but this half man, half machine thing. 
and he's trying to regain his humanity. And that core storyline is treated very seriously and done very well. And around that is all this crazy satire going on. So it works, in my opinion anyway. It doesn't take away from the rest of the film. It doesn't turn it into a flat-out comedy or tongue-in-cheek kind of movie. I, I mean, what did you think of that? I, it kind of like, it brings the story and it puts the, it makes the story a little bit of an outlier with the rest of the world. The rest of the world is kind of like dark and sort of taken over by big corporations, media, uh, OCP, holding the police. But then there's Alex Murphy who doesn't have any memory of anything like that. So for him, he's trying to regain his humanity and he has to, and everyone else is kind of numb to every, to all the world's problems and all the, all the media around them. So it's, it's interesting to see how he's different from everybody more than just being a machine. He's trying to just get his family back into his head. Right. Things like that. And, you know, one of the subplots, of course, was um, the fact that the, based on what you had said, you know, the corporations are, are taking things over in this movie. OCP, Omni Consumer Products, takes over the police force in old Detroit. And they have a plan to build a new Detroit, which is going to be called Delta City. And, you know, you see things like that today. You know, should, should the police force be privatized? Should the military be privatized? I mean, I've heard people mention that off and on here and there. And it's just one of those concepts that you go, oh, that's far-fetched. But then you see it played out in a movie like this. And... It's kind of relevant. It's kind of real. You know, it could happen someday. I don't think it will, but the whole subplot of the police ready to strike. And one of the cops says, cops don't strike. You know, we're here to protect the citizenry. We don't have the luxury of, even though we can strike, we shouldn't. And I yeah. think today they, they still go through things like that with the unions and Definitely. all that. Definitely. And there's um, the whole idea of the cops being privatized. The, the major CEO of, of OCP, I believe he was also the founder, so OCP has, hasn't been around for very long, but he, um, he was very much in the presence of wanting to defend people. He wanted to know the best way to keep crime at a low point, but, there was, but all the, everyone else who was kind of under him kind of was thinking, how can I make a profit with this military, even if it means sacrificing a few innocent people, including um, Bob Morton and Dick Jones. They kind of were both. I, they weren't people I very much liked, but so, but Dick Jones was evidently not a lot worse than Bob Morton. So it's it's scary to think that if someone wants something done, they can just put kind of put the police force in their favor and attack something, even though it's not necessarily a threat to pub, to the public. Just right. At, at what point does the police force then become a private army for this company? Mm-hmm. rather than, you know, because that's exactly what happens to Robocop. Dick Jones turns on Bob Morton and orders the police force to go after Robocop and try and kill him. Because mm-hmm. uh, Robocop had solved his own murder. And right. Dick, and Dick Jones couldn't stand that. He, he, he at least wanted it to succeed because he knew he would supersede the CEO, but, it because, but he also wanted Bob Morton to fail in a way. But since Bob Morton kind of, sort, kind of failed because he, um, Alex Murphy had kind of come back from the dead mentally... So he was. So the entire police force was right. At, was after Robocop, besides his partner, who managed to save him, and he had to kind of get rid of everyone from that. It's is a scary thought to think that the police force can be turned on one particular person because of a personal dispute, not a public crime. Right. Exactly. Spencey, um, having watched this film and being, you know, of course, fifteen years old as you are, do you recommend this to kids your age? Or younger, or definitely kids my age for sure. 
kids' minds would actually, if they can just sit down and kind of try and understand the story, it's only an hour and a half. It's not two. It's not two hours. Not three hours long of wasting time. It very. It got quick. Quick to the point. And I think the violence would also kind of keep a, a, my generation definitely interested. Things like that. And for people similar to me who kind of think story-wise and kind of look at films in a certain light, definitely I think they would enjoy it. So I would recommend this movie to almost anyone who enjoys a good story. Absolutely. And that's one thing, too. One last thing I forgot to note. Um, when the film opens, um, it just says Robocop. And then it goes into the story. It doesn't waste any time. It's, there's no credits. And I, I think this is one of the first movies to actually do that, like... Films since Star Wars had been segueing. I guess Star Wars didn't have any credits at the beginning, but had that preamble. But since Star Wars, films less and less were doing opening sequences and putting more and more of the credits at the end. And I just remember when I saw this in 87, I was a teenager myself, and I remember thinking, and my friends, we all talked about it, how weird it was that it it just said Robocop and then went into the story. There was no fancy opening to the film. Mm. I was I, I was a little shocked at that too because I'm kind of used to seeing a little bit of credits even in newer movies a little bit of credits of of this person's film the, uh, this company this pro, this producer bringing it and then it's this film it's no it's just immediately you see Detroit and then you see Robocop and then you see Alex Murphy it was very very quick very different I think from a lot of movies no matter what time frame they're from that was one of the very outliers with that kind of system right and one funny thing about this movie it says in the trailer. I think it says it's in 1997, and in 1997, good cops die hard. You know, something along those lines. With 12 years on the force and 21 commendations, Murphy was a good cop. And in 1991, a good cop doesn't die. You were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? We get the best of both worlds, onboard computer-assisted memory, and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programs. This guy is really good. Go get him, boy. Thank you. You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. I give up. I'm not arresting you anymore. Kane is kind of personal, aren't you? Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Rated R. Starts Friday, July 17th at a theater near you. But it it says it takes place in the 1990s, which is really funny now that we're in the 2000s. What, almost like 19 years ago was 1997. Yeah, and I mean, this this film, though, sort of predicted the Ford Tauruses as police cars, which I don't think they use those anymore. But at the time... That was kind of, whoa, those look so futuristic. And then eventually the cops use them, and then it's like, no big deal. Now it's the past. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's our discussion of the 1987 Robocop. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the 2014 remake of Robocop. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. 
Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! Okay, we're back on Then Is Now here. We uh, just discussed the 1987 Robocop. And uh, I should note, too, that the, um, we are having some technical issues. There's a lot of ambient noise in the background. There's kids and dogs and all kinds of crazy things, allergy attacks going on. So uh, if this show seems a little disjointed, that's, that's why. Now you know why. Okay, Robocop 2014. Um, before we go into that real deep, I want to point out that uh, in the writing credits, we see Ed Newmeyer and Michael Miner are listed as writers. Now, they wrote the original RoboCop script. I think Ed, Ed Newmeyer came up with the concept. Um, in the new writing credits of the film, 2014 RoboCop, directed by Jose Padilla. I'm not sure who he is. We'll have to look him up. Um, but the writing credits are Joshua Zetumer, Edward Newmeyer, Michael Miner, and then it credits Ed Newmeyer and Michael again for the 1987 picture. I tried looking it up, and it just seemed like they were giving their blessing, and I'll describe later on what my opinion was about this, because I think there's a little bit more than just giving them credits because this person took the original script and adapted it. The film stars Joel Kinnaman as Alex Murphy slash Robocop. You guys may know him as Rick Flagg from Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. He's a Swedish actor. He's been in a tons of other stuff. A tons. He's been in a tons of other stuff. <laughs> hey, he's a Swedish actor. Oh, wait a minute. That's uh, my Italian actor. No, um, also Gary Oldman plays Dr. Uh, Dennett Norton, which is kind of a weird name. It's not like Bennett, it's <laughs> Dennett. I don't get that. Uh, Gary Oldman th- puts in an interesting performance in this, as well as Michael Keaton, who plays Raymond Sellers. He's the owner of OCP in this. Michael Keaton, of course, is famous for playing Mr. Mom and Batman in 1989, the Tim Burton Batman films. He brought, brought that back. Abby Cornish plays Alex Murphy's wife, Clara, and Jackie Earl Haley plays Rick Maddox. He's uh, what Spencer likes to call Soldier Boy. He's known for playing uh, Rorschach in the Watchmen film, as well as the remake. He was Freddy Krueger of uh, in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, and he was on the show um, Human Target. He was he played a great character on that show. And then one other character on here, one other actor that should be pointed out that's in almost every film uh, that has come out in the last five years is the great Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, joy. <laughs> I have some thoughts about his character, too. So, all right, I, I think we should give our opinions of both films at the very end after we've described this. So why don't you give us a uh, synopsis, Spency, of 2014's remake of RoboCop? All right, so we all know about the 1987 version where the OCP is trying to decide what they want to put on the street. In this, um, the ED-209s are already on the street. They already have automatons. They have robots, AIs. 
But the Senate, that's kind of deciding whether it's constitutional not to have those things, are saying that that's not possible because they're not people. They're just machines roaming around that could at will at, at um, the OCPs in this. They're called Omnicorp at Omnicorp's discretion could kill anyone that they so choose. Well, let me interrupt real quick. It's, they are on the streets, but in other countries. Mm-hmm. And the um, OCP is trying to get them into America. And that's what the big dispute yes. is about. Omnicorp does not actually own the cops in this. It's, it's kind of like the same concept, but there's just so many. There's a whole different perspective on on the 1987 version. So they're kind of fighting with the Senate, and Jamie L. Jackson represents the newscaster. He's um, Pat Novak on the Novak element. So he kind of gives. He, he kind of tells everyone what's going on, and Alex Murphy comes in as new guy in Detroit, same as same as old times. But we kind of see his family. He actually we get to see him interact with his child, with his wife, and things like that. He kind of gets to know the people, and he ultimately gets killed. And I would say a might of a less horrific way, actually. He kind of right. dies. He, he's a car somebody. bomb in his driveway. Definitely, yeah. So he, so when he dies, um, the Omnicorp is trying to get, uh, trying to get their cyborg onto the streets so they can appease the Senate and still have something, one of their products out there. Well, and, it, it's because. They figure that the robots are too robotic, that the humans won't relate. But if you put a, a human-like face out there, mm-hmm. the general public will accept it more. Uh, yes. And, Gary, and um, Omnicorp enlists Gary Oldman, who is um, uh, an, a scientist for, what are they called, um, prosthetics, robotic prosthetic limbs. And the whole idea is that he's sort of there to get find the people who are um, mentally stable enough to handle kind of being brought back from the brink of death and who can who can become RoboCop and ultimately they choose Alex Murphy as their candidate. And when that happens, they kind of, they put it, they put him in the suit. They finally get him. A, it takes months and months. They finally convince his wife to sign the release papers. Cause she is still, is actually a lot more involved in this than in, in the past film in the 1987 film. So she, they finally get that together. And when he wakes up. They put it, they put him through so many training exercises to make him as good as the machines in a situation where it requires kill, like shoot on sight kill, and he's not as good. So what they do is they put a whole different side of him. They put have RoboCop. Alex Murphy is a nice guy for people facing people, the kids, and public events. But then when it comes down to him being an actual cop, it's the illusion of free will, as they phrased it. He becomes a robot. And has kind of no mercy and things like that. But no one else knows it except for Omnicore. Right. They step in and they literally switch his emotions off because he's not as fast as the robots. Once they pull that out of the equation, because he will hesitate. If he sees a guy holding a kid hostage, he's going to hesitate. Whereas a robot won't. They -hmm. pull that out of the equation. All of a sudden now he's super cop. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And in comparison to the 1987 version with a minor thing is the aiming reticle. The when we see his vision. Um... In the 1987 version, it's very square because that's kind of what they had at the time. And it's two kind of, like, coordinate points. It's two, it's two lines connecting when he's up targeting. points. Yes, when he's targeting people. But in the new one, it's kind of, like, HD, I would say. It's kind of curved in his vision through the visor. And he has a reticle that kind of bounces around his little screen. And he can aim it, not so much the two coordinating lines. Which I think is kind of cool because it's a whole different time period from when the movie came out in general. Well, yeah, that's one thing in the original, too. When you saw his, through his... Uh, point of view, they added in scan lines like the old cathode ray two T 
t- cathode ray tube TV sets mm-hmm. that we used to see the scan lines on them, and that was how his vision looked. But now in this one, like you said, it's it's widescreen. It's kind of bowed too in the mm, in the center, definitely. in the top and bottom. So continuing on with the story is they um, ultimately have to turn. Um, I forget how I forget actually why it happens, but they ultimately turn off his emotions because he was fighting against them. He wanted to go home, see his family more than be RoboCop constantly. So they kind of made him like he had his like he remembered things, but he didn't feel anything, even when he was Alex Murphy and not RoboCop. And ultimately, it was kind of him trying to gain back his his emotions in a way, and like Gary Oldman kind of feeling bad for for like profitizing his work and thing and the whole prosthetic system he doesn't really want to do that and so when alex murphy is kind of faced with fight for his family fight for the people or fight for omnicorp and what they've already put into a system even though he's kind of declared dead and and he kind of goes on a quest to Mm -hmm. solve his own murder yeah that that once again happens is he re he re um visits all the crime scenes and all the people affiliated with the criminals who attacked him and in, in this one it's kind of interesting because it's not oh in the end the criminals are in league with um the ocp it's in this one omnicorp and the criminals are two different people but they interact indirectly and he goes around he literally slaughters all the criminals that were involved with his murder right and that's a great scene yeah i think that was a really interesting scene because you got to see a lot of how he fights even in situations such as like pitch black and lack of sound and yeah even just visually with him in the darkness and and all you can see is the red light from his helmet and just moving like lightning like Mm -hmm. way faster than the original robocop yeah 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 he's much more tactile he's not as bulky right definitely not as bulky his chest his uh his legs are very kind of thinner and so he's more agile and different things like that Hmm. uh so yeah. ultimately, all right. And in the end, and in the end, he actually goes after um, the Omnicorp executives because they turned off his emotions, and he almost lost his family because of it. Right. And the wife goes and confronts Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. and he tells her that RoboCop died, or, or they had to put him down, I think, because yeah. he went crazy or something. They told him he stopped. He stopped following orders. He went rogue, so they had to take him out. But he figures out that it was Omnicorp that had switched his emotions off, right? Mm-hmm. Because no, then was, Gary Oldman ends Gary up Oldman helping him. Took pity on him and um, right, and, and, and told him the whole story, and so he had to. And so RoboCop kind of stepped in and took out the Omnicorp executives. Right, and and so ultimately, though, in the end of the film, you didn't have you didn't have quite the um, twist ending like the original. Mm. Definitely. But he broke his programming, which was interesting. It was a lot less plot twist and more of the human, actual, the actual human struggle, I think, more than the original. Because he, yeah, you're right, he did break his program. He fought, uh, emo- he let his emotions get the best of him. Because they took out, like, his dopamine down to 1% levels in his brain, which is most, which is your brain chemicals, your important ones for emotions. And he genuinely, naturally raised them back up all the way back to normal 100%. He, he fought, his brain literally fought against the program inside right. his head. So I think there was a lot more of direct willpower struggle against machines. Right. And then he kills, of course, Michael Keaton's character in the mm-hmm. end. In the end, Spoiler he Spoiler alert. <laughs> They're actually, um, the, in the original 1987, they had the Directive 4, which he couldn't harm anyone in, the, in Omnicorp, uh, I'm sorry, OCP. But in this, they had a different system. They were called Red Assets, which kind of like a bracelet that for the automatons, they couldn't harm anyone like that. They saw Red Asset, don't touch them, ally. 
And in this, they had that same programming in RoboCop, but we didn't know that until the very end when they were trying, when they knew RoboCop would go against them. Right. And wasn't there a scene where it was similar to the original where um, Soldier Boy had, had it on and he was able to somehow get around that RoboCop? Yeah. RoboCop, um, he tased him. That's right. He, did, he, did, he didn't, uh, <laughs> his pistol could tase and kill. And what he did was um, he, he, he tased him instead of killing him because there was a training exercise for that. Right. Which was the first kind of time we saw the illusion of free will where Alex thought he was doing all the killing of the robots, but he really wasn't. Right. So it was interesting. But the, now I'm talking though about at the second time he confronts him at the end when he's really trying to kill Robocop, Soldier mm-hmm. Boy. Is that when you're saying he tased him? Because I know he tased him at the beginning. They do that one amazing action sequence where they try to test Robocop and they're playing Hocus Pocus by Focus. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he goes through and he's, he's fighting him and... At the end of the fight, he gets to him. I think that was the goal, was he had to get to Soldier Boy and... Yeah. Soldier Boy was the only one that had a gun that could penetrate Robocop's armor. Right. I keep calling Soldier Boy, by the way. It's Jackie Earl Haley's character, Rick Maddox. <laughs> I um, love Soldier Boy. <laughs> but so, yeah. So the, the red thing was sort of like the Directive 4 from the original film. Mm-hmm. So overall, what did you think of this 2014 version? The 2014 version was definitely more action-packed. Uh, I thought it was... I thought it was a lot more fun to watch if you like kind of we just just wanted a nonchalant movie to have in the background and then kind of look over at certain points and see see something really cool. So I like the 1907 version better for sure because it had more it was more dynamic, it was more different, more spontaneous. But this one had its moments. I think it had kind of its like I always think like I always think to myself funny ways of uh, different ways of filming things and how some sort of badass character is kind of killing multiple like people coming at him, this kind of had those scenes. It had those moments where you wanted Robocop to be the badass that he never kind of could be in the 87 version because he was more agile and more robot-like. Right. So I think, so I, so I think there's, a, there's definitely a balance here. But in the end, I, th- I like the 1987 version better. This one was good at certain points. and other points, it kind of lacked. Right. When definitely. I saw this one in the theater, I remember thinking that there were a lot of leftover ideas or felt like a lot of leftover ideas from the original that just weren't in there. And then at the end, I saw in the credits that Ed Newmeyer and uh, uh, Michael Miner were credited in the writing of this film. So I wonder, I, I couldn't really find anything about it, but I wonder how much of this um, was taken by the new scriptwriter were ideas that were sort of left over. And Ed Newmeyer was like, hey, you know what, why don't you use this one and that one? Like the one that stands out to me, which they left up to your imagination in the original and it it kind of disturbed me on this one. I, I swear to God, I, I had bad dreams after seeing this one. In in the remake of RoboCop here, the 2014 version, they pull all his armor off and show you what's left of Alex Murphy underneath. And it's not pretty. It's pretty much his brain, his face, his lungs, a few organs, and his right hand. It always makes me think of that um, Stephen Reich joke. I, I knew a kid with wooden legs and real feet. You know, because he had like a metal body and a real hand, you know? Yeah. Is that... It- <laughs> It was, when I kind of saw the 1987 version, the question kind of pecked at me. It's like, well, what's underneath? What is left of him? But you could kind of tell, because they actually referenced that in the 1987 version. When they're first building him, you see it from his perspective. You see a little montage of them building things. And Bob Newmeyer kind of walks in and says... Bob Morton. Bob Morton, sorry. I don't know why I said Newmeyer. But um, he walks, Bob walks in and says, take the arm, even though they could have salvaged his left arm. Right. Take, take it off. Lose o- the arm. Only, lo- only have... 
his head as the actual human part of him. Right, and they did say he just had a rudimentary digestive system. That mm. He could eat baby food, or yeah, he he could eat ba- basic things, something as simple as baby food. He couldn't actually process anything more than that because they still had to keep the humanity part up there. Right, and that was something as a kid when I saw it. You know, it was left up to the imagination. You always visualized what he may have looked like under the armor. Do you think it's a testament to today's audiences that they had to show it to us, that the kids today... I don't know, because I'm a grown-up, and that freaked me out, seeing it in the new one. I think it put a, I think it put a, a gap between the 1907 version and that one. It kind of... It said, okay, we're going to do something differently. We're going to do... We're going to actually show you what we, what we think he would look like, what in our world, this is what he would look like. And I don't think it's the audience. I think it's the... The, like you said, the leftover idea, well, we can't really show that because it would be, it's because we only have a limited budget, limited time with this movie. You want to keep the audience in there. But with this, they had so much more money, so many more effects, so much cheaper ways to do spectacular things on screen. This was like, all right, let's throw that in there. Let's make it, let's show them what is left of him. Because they also, since he had a gory death, you could understand what was gone, what wasn't. And you, but in the original, to, in the original, yes. Yeah. But in this one, we saw his family, but then we also saw a little bit of the gore, what was left of him. Right. So I think it kind of actually put more pity into him because he was, at one point, he was he just asked for them to kill him, but they but they didn't. Right. So he, it was kind of like you really felt bad of how could someone really have the willpower to live that kind of life, as a few organs and a hand. Right. Exactly. He says that he's like you know just they say. Was it Gary Oman's character says, you know, you're in complete control, you control everything, and he says, well, then kill me. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, uh, it just it just freaks me out. I mean, just to think, how, how can you even imagine trying to go back to your old, old life with no body, with no nothing? I mean, you're just a head in a jug, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know. Now, one thing about this film, the 2014 version, his character arc is different it's it's sort of the same as the alex murphy of the original in that it's a man's struggle for his humanity or to retain his humanity but he doesn't he loses it in a different way he like like we just said he loses his body physically he loses his humanity they don't wipe his memory like in the original Mm -hmm. it's not the same kind of journey yet in a way it is uh would you say it's i would say though because Sort of, because they did. there's two different avenues of doing the same thing. What they did was, in the original, they took his memory. So he didn't have any emotions, he didn't have any attachments to anything. He was, he was more machine than he was man. He was wearing a man's face, but in the new one, he was a man in a robot's body, in a way. Because they, they ultimately, he was fighting the good fight, he was doing everything right, and then he kind of, his humanity took over. His, he, did, he had his own free will. He did it. He did what he wanted at certain points and solved his own murder, and ultimately they had to take his emotions away. They had to make him obedient, and so in a way, it wasn't so much they, they took his memories, but they took his ability to give any value to those memories. Right. So there was two different ways, but in the end, his humanity was still sucked away at different points. Right. And it, it's funny, you know, I had seen this movie, the remake, twice in the theater, and we just rewatched it just before doing the podcast, and. I kind of felt, upon the rewatching just this past week, I felt the same as I did when I first watched it. When I went in, I, we had watched the original Robocop, and then we watched this one. And I felt, walking into this movie, I was like, I really couldn't remember a huge amount of it. I, um, I remember that I thought it was okay. 
And like the first half of the film, I just was didn't want to like it again. I didn't want to enjoy it. And I think part of that, I think, comes from having seen the original as a young person. Um, you know, you've got that. It has that special place in my heart. So for anything else to try and replace it, you know, it, it's a hurdle. It's my own personal hurdle I have to get over. But I didn't care about Alex Murphy. I didn't care about his family. I didn't. I didn't find anything too compelling about his character for me to care. I really didn't care until until he was. You saw what was left of him and how he reacted to that. That's when I started to care about him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the original, it's not that I cared about him too much either. But he was so horrifically murdered that you were like, "Oh my God!" You wanted to see. You wanted to get some retribution. You wanted to see some kind of. I don't know. Yeah, something to make up for the fact that his life had just been snuffed out like that in a, such a horrible way. Yeah, I think there was like we've we can see in many times. Um, last uh, time in Dennis, now we talked about Godzilla and the new one. It had the same thing. It was you saw the family, you saw the person, and then you kind of saw their struggle to de- to get back to the family. And in RoboCop, it was like we kind of knew that story. We could, like everyone kind of goes through that at some point in their life, but no one goes through being a man with like with a few organs left inside of a robot's body and having to work for this huge corporation against your will. Right. That's that's something that you really you can't relate and it makes you want to relate more. So and that's I think that's why the the original worked better as also as a shorter movie because they killed him so quickly. They right. they did make him so horrifically like dismembered. You kind of, you saw the way he went and then you kind of you understood the horror but then in this one you kind of saw you didn't think oh it wasn't that bad. But then you look at what's left of him, you're like, okay, it was that bad. Right. With like with the injuries and what's left of his organs. So it's it's actually kind of horrifying when you if you yeah. look at it. it <laughs> you freaked out. I didn't freak out as much, but it's still a little gruesome to see all that. Uh, Especially Gary Oldman, because Gary Oldman was facing him no problem. He didn't flinch. Right. <laughs> and th- that's another interesting uh, point in this movie. Gary Oldman's character, Dr. Dennett Norton. At first, I didn't care about him either. I'm like... I'm thinking to myself, on the rewatch, I'm watching it going, he's just sleepwalking through this role. Why did he even take this role? I, I, it's funny, like, to see him as Commissioner Gordon and that journey in those three Batman movies, he was really good. To see him in, like, a lot of these other movies, he does these great characters. I mean, there are times when Gary Oldman's been in a film and I didn't even know it was him. Like, in the movie Hannibal, he was in it and he was under makeup and I didn't realize till the end credits that it was Gary Oldman. But in this, at first, I have to say, again, for the first third maybe first half of the film, I was like, what is he doing in this movie? And then he starts to become this Dr. Frankenstein type character. Mm -hmm. You know, at first he's, like you said, he's a prosthetics doctor. Michael Keaton, I guess it's for a a branch of the OCP or whatever, Omni Corporation. And Michael Keaton pulls him in because he knows he's the kind of guy that could sort of build this suit, could take what's left of Alex Murphy and, you know, take this pudding and make a cake out of it. And... (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> analogy. But, you know, you could take this pudding mix and add some milk to it and make a nice, you know, bowl of pudding. All right, enough with the pudding references. But anyways. I want pudding. <laughs> <laughs> so to, but to do this, I think the character, Dennett Norton, he starts to see something cool. But at first, he's resistant, though. He doesn't want it to be mil- militarized. He doesn't want this used for military purposes. Mm-hmm. But then Michael Keaton says, well, you can have your own staff and we'll give you X amount of dollars and we'll give you this and that. And he starts to get greedy. And I think that little 
the little Dr. Frankenstein inside of all scientists starts to come out and say, well, I could play with this guy's life and I, I might be able to do something kind of cool here. And Okay, but it's, it's going to be under the way I want it. Yeah. There was, um, like you said, Dr. Frankenstein, he was testing his limits with Alex Murphy. What could he get Alex Murphy to do? What could he do with his emotions, with his memories? How could he manipulate him into different forms, into different shapes, and possibly a personal slave, possibly a public servant? Right. You never really know. And so I don't think it was so much as greed, but it was curiosity kind of got to him in the middle of the movie and definitely kind of inspired him to at least go along with Omnicorp a lot more. And then like near the end of the film, he kind of resists. He's like, wait a minute. What am I doing? Right. What have I done? Comes to his senses. Yeah, he, he really does. And um, he goes to, um, uh, what's his name? Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. Yeah. He goes to Michael Keaton and says, I want out. I don't want to be a part of this. I'm taking RoboCop down. He's my creation. Michael Keaton says, now don't do anything too rash. We'll give you the staff. We'll give you money. But it, And then Gary Oldman, this is the one thing I really liked about him was he said, first thing out of his mouth was, I want Alex Murphy's family to be taken care of financially. Right. Completely. And that was the first thing out of his mouth. He did not want himself. He didn't put himself first. Uh, and I like. I'm like, all right. He's at least at least he, his heart's in the right place. Yes. Even yeah. though he, he's made a couple mistakes, and I can. I was. I was willing to forgive him for that. At least he he knew where he went wrong. He tried. And he, in the end, he did help Alex Murphy. So Gary Oldman's character kind of was all over the place, and I think it made it more spontaneous. It kind of put the spontaneity back in the film that was kind of the '87 version had. Yes, and it gave him an extra dimension. He wasn't just. He wasn't just a Dr. Frankenstein, or he just wasn't just a, a scientist who's told what to do. He went through many different levels of morality, of struggling with, is this right? Is this wrong? Should I do it? Do I want to do it? I want to do it. I don't think I want to do it. You know, there was a lot, a roller coaster to his character, I thought, that worked. Uh, yeah. Ultimately. I think, I think it worked because he wasn't in the original. There was no doctor. Right. In the, well, there, there might have been, but there wasn't a major character. It wasn't as important as Oldman's character. Right. In this. So I think it kind of, they, they kind of, I think the writers played with his character. They're like, well, what should we do? Do we want to make him this? Do we want to make him that? Let's put all three in there and put and space it out throughout the movie. And I think it worked. I think it did put the, the spring and the step of the Robocop movie. Right. You sure. almost want to say that the writers couldn't decide what to do with this character, but I, I sort of interpret it more as he couldn't decide. You know, he would see these opportunities, he would try and go for them, and then he'd be like, oh, crap, why did I do that? Which we often do in life. You know, we seize an opportunity, and then we're like, oh, crap, that might not have been the best idea. I probably shouldn't have done that. And then how do we take steps to rectify the situation? Mm -hmm. And I definitely see his character taking that turn and, and trying to fix things. I feel like Alex Murphy's wife kind of slightly went through that also. Because, yeah, like, in, a, in a way, I think so, because she signed the release papers. She was a lot more important because she signed the release papers for Alex Murphy to become RoboCop, not just he wasn't he wasn't actually dead. He was right. in like a coma. He was right, on right. support. He was uh, unconscious. So when she's like, all right, you can do this to him. It took her a while. It took her. I think it took her like a month or two to really decide with her son how that would go down. I think that she I don't got, I don't think so. They, they remember they put her on the spot and said, you have to decide now because he's not going to survive. Yeah. They were sitting with her in the oh. room. And she's oh, like, I well, I need time. And they're like, well, there's no time. He's going to croak if you don't do something. Yeah. So they sent, so ultimately she did send him off to do that. And that, and then like halfway through, she's like, what did I do? Why did I do this? And then kind of three fourths of the way. And she's like, he's emotionless. What have they done to him? I want him back. Then by the end, he kind of ultimately protects them and breaks the system. Right. So it was kind of, it was kind of interesting to see so many characters go through so many emotional experiences. And do you think that was right. sort of selfish on her part too? Because, well... Was it selfish or was it she didn't really 
understand the full extent of what they wanted to do to him. I mean, there wasn't much left of him. And to want him back, she wanted him back in the worst way because it was her husband, but not really knowing that he was just a head and lungs, Mm. you know, and a hand. I I wouldn't say it was selfish because they did say that he would, like Omnicorp kind of made it seem like he would come back Alex Murphy. And in the and in the beginning he did come back Alex Murphy but they didn't uh, they didn't say well oh we'll give him uh we didn't they didn't say oh we'll make him a brand new cop they say we'll make him a cop again and things and a detective again and that's kind of like okay well what kind of cop he becomes RoboCop and so he's like he it ultimately he kind of comes back and then gets taken and then the OmniCorp kind of um, steals their grasp on him like makes it a lot tighter right. around Alex Murphy's life. And so, so she kind of went through, yay, he's back. God, what have they done to him? Yay, oh no, he's, what's going to happen next? Right, he was never going to live a normal life again. Mm-hmm. And it, it's funny, too, that you keep um, saying Alex Murphy, which, as we've done the review of the remake here, we've used that name a lot more than in the original. And I think you had even said it when we rewatched these two, that in the movie, he's more, well, I think even Dr. Dr. Norton calls him Alex all the time. Mm. So the first one, the original, it's he's RoboCop first. He's a robot who dreams he's a man. And this one, he's a man who dreams he's a robot. Yeah. I think, I think like you said, the leftover ideas, I think it's just a, the, the same concept, the same things, but they kind of twisted around almost every aspect of the movie. Because the media thing isn't so like evident, but you could kind of tell that the world was... The, the media wasn't so much like in people's faces, but it was centralized, the Novak right. element. The Novak element with Samuel Jackson as Pat Novak was very biased in favor of the big corporations. You could, you could obviously see that because they kind of brought on a senator and they also brought on um, uh, Michael Keaton's character. And Michael Keaton's character got his say, the Senate got a question, Michael Keaton responded, and then no more questions. Right, and they shut him off. They, they immediately shut off the Senate, the yeah, um, senator. senator who was um, against uh, Omnicorp. And it was very, it was, you, you could obviously tell it was biased. And so it kind of pointed people's ideas in the direction that Omnicorp was painted in this great light because they had so much money. Right. It kind of put, it, put, it focused more on the corruption than the actual media in people's lives. So, all right. So what did you think of, of the remake? In the end. Be honest. I like it. It's okay it. to I, like I, it. <laughs> I genuinely did like it. I thought it was a really good movie. But in relation to the 1987, it's not going to, it's not better. It's definitely not better. But the new one was definitely really good, but it shouldn't be the first time you ever meet RoboCop. You shouldn't. It shouldn't be. The, it also. Um, I've seen the first half of the second one. I think I feel like it kind of took the first few a few elements from all the all the RoboCop movies. Because I know in the second one they said, um, RoboCop kind of sees a kid who's a criminal, and he kind of short circuits and doesn't realize what to do. And that was one of the big things: was what happens if it see, if a robot sees a child, will it hesitate to kill? Oh, in someone? in the film RoboCop yeah, two, in the, yeah, yeah in, in RoboCop two. But then the new one, they say, will it hesitate to kill someone who could be who is more likely to be innocent than an adult, right? Something like that. And it's kind it was it's kind of it was kind of interesting when I saw RoboCop two after seeing the the new one. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I feel like it was more than just a remake of the original. It was leftover ideas alongside twists on the old ideas. So in the end, it was it was a good movie. It wasn't my favorite, but I thought it, was, it definitely had its moments for. Like you said, it is an enjoyable action film, action mm-hmm. sci-fi film. Do you think um, kids today, ha- well, having seen it, what, I mean, what do your friends say? Do they like it? Do they even know about it? Is, is it as impactful as the original was when it came out? 
no way is it as impactful unless you really look super deep, which most kids my age wouldn't do. They right. would kind of, even, even my, I myself, I'm guilty of this, of just going to a movie solely for looking at the action or the story, the concept on the surface looks interesting and that's all you really want to see. Robocop, the original, kind of had a lot of deeper meanings and the, but the original concept was meant to draw people in. Is oh, Robocop, oh cool, but then you see, oh wait a minute, this is really true, this is kind of happening, I can kind of understand that this is relatable. And in the new one, they didn't really have that. The new one actually took place a lot longer in the future. Yeah. It, it did take it was... place like in 2020 or 2030, something right. like that. And because they said you'll have camera footage uh, at your disposal from all the way from 2011. And I'm thinking, wait, isn't that just three years? But then they mentioned something like 20 years worth of footage into a system. And it's like, oh, okay, so it's a lot longer than you think. Right, right. So I don't know. I don't think so because we've had so many different kinds of variations of things like RoboCop, different satires all over society now so i think it kind of put that element in there because of the original but it was just meant to be on the surface an action movie with um the robocop concept as the main plot i think yeah it just it does seem like this film will get lost in the sea of other action sci-fi films that have been coming out i remember when the original came out and uh there was a local reviewer joyce Kohayrick, was talking to peter weller it was kind of funny um She's trying to interview him, right? And he's like, yeah, it's this tale, this guy, and he's trying to regain his humanity. And, and she goes, and it's very violent. He's like, well, well, yeah, it's a rated R action movie, but it, at, at its core, it's this tale of this guy, and he's trying to regain his humanity, but it's really violent. He's like, well, well yes, there's violence in it, but, and it just kept going on like that. And then at the end, though, there was, they showed the shot of the police station and there was that sort of translucent glass where you couldn't quite see through it, and, but you see the silhouette of Robocop walking behind mm-hmm. and you hear the footsteps. And then they paused it before you actually saw him. So there was a buildup. When the film came out, you really didn't know what he was going to look like. You didn't know a lot of what was going to happen in the film. And I think that kind of anticipation is lost in today's films. You, it's very rare that you have a buildup before a film comes out and you don't know what the character is going to look like and you you don't know everything about it, you know? Yeah, that's something trailers do, I think, definitely, is they want to they wanna give, like, someone my age, like, I've seen trailer, like, trailers for, um, like, uh, I remember seeing a trailer for, what was it, uh, Superman, Batman vs. Superman, right. Dawn of Justice, and I watched the entire trailer, uh, it was an ad on YouTube, and I watched it, and near the end, they kind of spoiled um, Doomsday. Yeah. I was like, really? Like, that's cool, but I don't want to see that. I'm gonna, I want you to give me a reason to go see the movie. And that's where I think trailers have become a lot longer these days, and they kind of they release a lot of the tension way too quickly. I remember seeing Robocop, like, he had the black suit for... He had the, the cool red and black visor, and, like, they kind of... Sh- I remember seeing that. I'm like, wow, that looks really cool. But they didn't show anything that he inherently, like, did, any kind, like, any kind of his movements or anything like right. that. Right. So I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. I already know it is because I knew what I knew what RoboCop was. Yeah, I'd never really seen the original at the time, but I remember I knew what it was and things like that. And that's something that they don't do in new movies. It's, it's definitely it's definitely trailers. Trailers definitely give too much away. That's why I love going to the movie theaters and seeing trailers for things. Like I went to see um, I don't know what movie what I what, what I Suicide Squad. I'm sorry. And there was a trailer for this movie. I think I forget what it was called. And it was about the great. It's about. It's coming out soon. I think it's about the Great Wall of China and what what real the old legend, the campfire tale of what they were really trying to keep out. And and all you saw was the guys gearing up for war, getting ready at the wall, the fog in front of them, and something came up and snatched a guy out. 
then the trailer ended with the t- with the title of the movie. And I, I turned to my friend I was sitting with him and go, that's a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, it, it just made me want to see the movie, but I didn't know anything about it. Right. That's what you need in, a, in things like that. And so I think it, that was definitely, you're right, lost with the new one because they gave away so much so quickly, even inside the movie. Right. And that, that's what I do these days. I've been doing this for years now is I'll see a trailer of a film that I know I'm going to like. And that's it. I don't watch it again until I go see the movie because I go in total media blackout because they just give too much away. And there's there's some weird mentality in Hollywood that people want to know how the movie's going to end before they see it or people want to know everything about it before to justify them paying to go see it. I don't think that's true. I don't know anybody that has that opinion. Mm. Mm. You know, I think, you know, most the average person probably doesn't care if a movie's spoiled for them. But those of us who really enjoy movies, we don't like them spoiled. It, there's no fun in it. It's like knowing what your Christmas present is before you open it. It's well, then why'd you even bother wrapping it? You should just handed me the, the toy piano or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because <laughs> I always definitely. get toy I, pianos. But. And people always ask me, "Oh, did you see the trailer for this? Did you see the trailer for this new show coming out?" I'm like, "No, I know it's gonna be good. Right. I don't need a trailer." <laughs> it's like it's sometimes it's one thing if it's like um, a movie that I don't know anything about, and it's uh, a simple trailer like the like what I said, the 25 second, uh, Great Wall of China. Trailer was perfect for me because you because like I was like okay this looks cool what is this about and the, like the narrator just kind of gives a little ominous spiel about the movie and that's what you need in a trailer you don't want I don't want to know I don't want to see the giant monster that they're gonna fight I want to see oh they're going to fight something but we don't know what it is yet right I love that so much better than seeing yeah okay this is what that's gonna happen like um I remember Captain America um, not Captain America Avengers too. We, they, I think they spoiled the Hulkbuster in it, in the trailer. Right. They, they, and I'm like, I don't want to see I think I saw a screenshot of it. See, I, I didn't actually it. see that, so I didn't I saw, know. I, I, saw, I, I remember seeing an um, Avengers 2 trailer, and I think it started with the Hulkbuster or something like that. Right. I, I immediately skipped it, but like, it just kind of ruined it for me. Because in the movie, I'm like, wow, that's really dramatic, but I expected it. Right. It's like, if I didn't expect it, I would think, wow, my eyes would be popping out of my head. Yeah. Like, um, to think, to, root, to um, backtrack to Godzilla... The new, uh, they uh, left the trailers. All the trailers for the 2014 film were very ominous. We saw like silhouettes of him. We saw right. little parts of him, but we never really saw him in the trailers. And then at one point when his atomic breath came out, <laughs> I th- I, that was the point in the movie. I remember 20 seconds before that, I'm thinking, okay, it's not going to be that great if they don't have his atomic breath. And his tail lit up. And I was like, yes. Your mind was blown. My mind was blown because <laughs> I did not expect that whatsoever. Right. And that's something you need in movies, especially Robocop, because everyone knows the story. Most people, like the movie only came out, what, 30 years before? Right. Not that long. So kid, so people your age can explain to someone that, oh, this is the concept, but you've already seen a majority of the cool things that are going to happen. It's like, okay, I can just watch the trailer, know the concept, and move on. Right. It, it really, this new one really should have been more of a, a comment on society like the original was. I think that society today is ripe for the picking as it probably always is, for stuff to be pulled out, made satirical, and go from there, and then make a compelling story about a, a character trying to regain his humanity. You know, that's what made the original... Well, you disagree? I, yes. making, he's making a I'm face. Making, you can't I'm see it. I'm making a face because... <laughs> like you just ate a lemon. <laughs> yes. Only because the first one did that. The first one totally made fun of society. It was, it was obvious. I, I got to a point where it's like, okay, I can clearly say that they're making fun of society. And you got to laugh along with the joke after a certain point. In this one, they put elements of that in there. But it was kind of, you, you can take it how you see it. You don't ha- it doesn't have to be this particular way of making fun of society, which was great in the original. It worked. But in, I think the new one 
if it was the same thing, I wouldn't want that. I never want that in a remake. That's true. Well, yeah, I can agree with that. Okay. I never really would want that, especially with RoboCop, because the first one was phenomenal. But the new one, if it's the same exact thing, I'm not going to want to watch it. Well, I didn't say the same exact thing. I said, you know, but make like fun if, of society for today's things. Or do you, you think the original is so relevant of what's going on? I mean, because it's still coming out of that Cold War mentality there. Mm. Whereas today is all, everything's different. I, I think the the original work the original worked so because of society. But I think if the new one did the same thing, it's like you could just keep remaking RoboCop every thirty years and keep making fun of society for the past thirty years. Right. But the new one kind of told different story, but had the same concept of him being RoboCop, which worked. Which is what I which is what I want. It's like a like Poltergeist. I you got to see stuff you, in the remake that you didn't get to see in the original, which is what I wanted out of it. You got to see Alex Murphy's body. Yeah. You got to see what was really there that you didn't get to see in the original. Actually, in the new one, at certain points, when he had on his basic armor, it was the original Robocop. Yes, I thought that, that was when cool. When he went out on the street, yeah. it was the tactical black, which, is, which I thought was really cool. I, when I, noticed, I didn't notice that in the, in the first time I saw the 2014 one. Yeah. Then I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, cool, I, that's his <laughs> armor. I, I see that now. Yeah. That looks really awesome. So it was, it worked. I think there was, there was a lot of good, it was, felt like more of an homage using the same concept. Yes, and that makes me think too of another concept I was I was thinking about with this film. There's no clear-cut villain in this movie. Okay, in the original, right? You've got a handful of people. You've got you've got Clarence Bodiger. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy who directly he's the one who directly kills Alex Murphy or at least shoots him in the head. He orchestrates his downfall and resurrection as RoboCop in in terms of, you know, him and the brutality of it. Him and his men shoot the crap out of him and it, he, that's his last image in his mind is Clarence Bodiger facing him down with the gun pointed at him so in that respect you've got that thread going through the film then you've got Bob Morton who I don't think Robocop quite knew who he was but he's the one that maneuvered the cops into position of risk so that someone would get mm-hmm. that harmed yeah. Be- because in, in that movie old Detroit is really treated a lot like the way New York was portrayed, and a lot of big cities were portrayed in the 70s and 80s. They're just these cesspools of crime. Mm-hmm. There's just rapes happening all the time and thefts and robberies, and it's just a horrible place. Why would anyone want to live there to begin with? And that's the whole point. You need a RoboCop to step in and, and yeah. solve, stop these crimes. Um, it's, in this one, there's no real clear-cut villain. All right, all right, getting back to the first one again, I lost my train of thought there, but... You've got uh, Ronnie Cox's character, Dick Jones. Mm-hmm. He's second in command at OCP, but he he's looking out for himself, numero uno. He's got the Ed 209 um, plan. He even says it at one point. He's like, spare parts for 40 years. Who cares if they worked or not? You know, he doesn't care about the citizenry. The old man does, like you had pointed out Definitely, earlier. Yeah, the CEO. He wants something good for what's going to become Delta City. So he's the villain, and he's the one at the end that... Directive 4 has to get broken. He gets fired by the old man, and then Robocop shoots him, and he goes out the window. Um, in this new one, though, no one – like, the guys who blew up Alex Murphy, he had already been on the case. He had been undercover looking for them. Okay, so they blew him up. He he does go on the um, the spree to, like, solve his murder, and he does catch them all and, and kill them all in that one scene. Yeah. I don't know. I just didn't get the satisfaction of the same way when he killed Clarence Bodiger in the original. You know, when he his informational 
thing in his hand that's like a point. He didn't kill Dylan. Becomes a, did he kill Batman? Yeah, remember oh, yeah, he, he did flipped kill, his hand open and the he, spike came out and he stabbed him in the neck. He did kill Clarence Bonnegar. I, I thought I was a different one of Bonnegar's men that he got arrested. He killed them all. That was something cool also in the original was he his um data spike from his, yes. from his um wrist uh, he used it as a weapon. Right, that's I'm what thinking, I was saying. That's yeah. what, like that's actually would happen. Uh, like, and it was great because yeah. it wasn't set up to be a weapon initially, so you didn't think about it. Mm, mm, mm. So that was that, I thought that was a cool touch. But when he does kill Clarence, it's like, all right, cool, you got him out of the way, and then but then he's gonna go after the guys who screwed him over as RoboCop. In the original, uh, RoboCop's working his way up the ladder. You know, when he catches Bodiger, he has he records him saying, "I work for Dick Jones. Dick Jones works for OCP. OCP runs the cops. You're a cop." You know, and but then he goes to Dick Jones. And he records him saying, I had to kill Bob Morton because he made a mistake. Now it's time to erase that mistake. And he plays that back for the board mm. of the company. So he works his way up the chain of command. Where over here, you know, yeah, okay, Michael Keaton is the CEO of a company and he's maybe not the most ethical of guys. But he really wasn't a villain until he pulls the gun out at the end on Robocop's family, on Alex Murphy's family. Well, it was also his decision to take out his emotions because he wanted something more obedient. He wanted to be in control but still have the public satisfaction. Right. That that was like it was the, it was more about the corruption, because the CEO was directly the one who was corrupt about have about having his his personal agenda pushed, and the public satisfaction up there. Whereas in the new one, it was one of the new, one of the, like the number twos, one of the execs, not the CEO, was the one you really hated. So I so yeah I, yeah it works. But what I'm saying is, did, I did I felt there wasn't a clear cut villain in this. I feel like. It was it was um because there was no clear cut villain. It was his story. It was we were watching story? Al- Alex Murphy. Okay, we were watching Alex Murphy go through and find the people that he wants to get vengeance on, the people that he knows deserve to get um, attacked or arrested or things like that. Who deserve who deserve um retribution? Right. I think he is like, and that it's kind of his his view of everything. Whereas like RoboCop the original was like. This is, we're looking at it from an outside perspective. We're watching him go from point A to point B, all the way to point Z with dealing, getting rid of Dick Jones. But we know Dick Jones is the point Z. In this, it's just, we don't get to see the whole A to Z. We see A, and then we see B. We don't get to see anything past what Robocop knows. But it's not as personal. In the original, it was much more personal with Clarence Bodiger. It definitely was more. It definitely was more personal between Alex and Clarence, right. but I think yes. between the audience and Alex, in the new one, I think that was more of that was more visible because we're like, okay, oh, oh, like you kind of got to a moment where you're like, oh, okay, so he killed the criminal, but then his emotions got to, oh, that's not cool. It's like right, I kind right. of had that moment. I'm like, all right, go after the CEO now. He's next. Like it kind of yeah. like in the middle of the movie, it felt like it was about to end when he killed Clarence. I was like, okay. It, I think it faded out. I'm like, is it that short? It didn't. It couldn't have ended like that. And then you saw that um, Dick Jones was really trying to tighten their grasp around him. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And kind of resisted that. So I think I think there was a like more of seeing Alex Murphy's story and him struggling as a person the way we would do it in in our time, the way we got kind of got lucky uh, with Gary Oldman helping us out, the Everyman. But in RoboCop, he was RoboCop, the original. Yeah. He, he was the RoboCop throughout it until the end. But all through it, he was Alex Murphy being forced into RoboCop, not RoboCop trying to break into Alex Murphy. So, all right. So, let's just uh, throw this out there and say uh, RoboCop, the 1987, is required viewing. You really should uh, get your young people 
to watch that. What do you recommend? Do you recommend they see both? This should be... You should see RoboCop the original a couple of times over the course of some over the course of a few months. So get that person to understand that that is RoboCop. That is the, the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega. But then they have the remake, which can be, you can kind of show them, I would say, later, or they discover it on their own. Never show the remake first, at least. Right. Is my now, why do you think? Do you think it'll taint them? They'll go, oh, this one's older and it's slower and... Yeah, I think it will turn them off. I think the it, it won't be... It's definitely not as action-packed. It's more of him doing a bunch of cool things instead of him going around being a natural badass in the new ones. So I feel like there was a level of constant badassery in the new one and then, like, periods of, like, really cool moments in the original, which I think made the original more dynamic and influential, making it better, in my opinion. Very good. <laughs> Okay, so that was our discussion of uh, RoboCop from 1987 and 2014. So, Spencey, um, what do you think we should do next time? Should we we should do Poltergeist we talked about? Yeah, I, um, I definitely think Poltergeist would be really good. The new one and the original in comparison to of the two. The way we've been doing Godzilla, RoboCop, things like that. I think if we, I think that would be really good for okay. Poltergeist to top it Yeah, up. the original was directed by Spielberg. I mean, um, Toby Hooper, sorry about that. Yeah. <clears throat> um, <laughs> There are people at home who got that joke. So, class, your uh, your homework for next time is to watch the original Poltergeist, and you don't have to worry about the sequels, and then watch the remake from, what was it, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, it wasn't very long ago. I think no. it was in 2015. Was it? Okay. Yeah. So, uh, that's your homework, class. And, um, Spency, uh, where can we contact you again? Uh, once again, my YouTube channel, Spency Dome Piece. Like I said, gaming videos, simple stuff like that. This is something I enjoy doing kind of in my off time. So, most of my contact information is in um, the description of my uh, videos. If you ever want to get into contact with me or anything like that. I post a video. I try to do it every weekend. Uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And periodically, I'll throw in um, some kind of horror game with... Um, with my face in it so you can actually see my reactions to things like that okay if you want to give us some feedback and if you think we made a mistake on something or you have you know you want to chime in on our discussion you can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com and you can also visit our Facebook page and uh, start some discussions there that's uh, facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast so thanks for joining us this week class dismissed and uh, we'll see you next time on Then Is Now I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs>